this is where we finished up last time. It says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And, and such a wonderful portion of the verse where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Uh, that's just an incredible statement, just saying that, that you know, no matter how much sin is in this world, uh, the, grace, the grace is greater. Grace is more. And uh, verse 21 says that as sin hath reigned, and I want you to key on that word reign because it's going to be very important in, in uh, this chapter 6 that we're looking at. Then it, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so, and, and I think it's a very important word here, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so uh, one or the other reigns in our life. You either, either sin's going to reign or grace is going to reign. Uh, but grace will never reign until we know Christ as Savior. Sin, sin has control until you're saved. But when grace, when we're saved, when we come unto the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then, then, then we now have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us who is, is more powerful. We have, greater, uh, we have authority through Jesus Christ, and, and uh, sin is bound. Now, so we look at verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, what shall we say then? What shall we say? Just he's throwing out this question. What shall we say? And I'll just read through the, the verse we're going to do. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death uh, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we, we believe that we shall also live with him. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you bless tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for this book of Romans. Thank you, Lord, that, that you, you clarify. We, uh, I, I just wonder how much confusion we would live in uh, if we didn't have this book to, to just simplify and clarify so many things. And Lord, I, I thank you uh, that you've given it to us. And, and, and Lord, I thank you that it is your word and every word is true and, and every promise of it is, is, is real and true. And Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would give a clarity of mind, that the Holy Spirit would fill this place and, and move into our hearts and minds and guide us and direct us that we would be more like thee because of what we hear tonight. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. Here in the beginning of, of chapter 6, we see really the, the reality of sin. And, and a question is posed that we must face and answer right here at the very beginning. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, uh, is written to all who have been, I believe, to all of us who have been born again. And it's, sin had reigned, but now through the blood of Christ, uh, grace now reigns. And if grace reigns, then what is our answer to this question? Here's the question that he throws at us. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And it's just a question God throws at us, uh, just directly at us. He's, he says, and what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
And uh, for hundreds of years, uh, there, you know, as you study back through it, you find out that there have been groups that have taught uh, in one form and around today, in one form or another, that since grace abound uh, where sin abounds, then we should, in reality, it's, we should commit more sin because that gives us the opportunity for more grace. And believe it or not, that's still taught in some areas today, and that's, that, that comes through. And, uh, you know, if you listen to enough radio preachers, you'll find some of this. And if you read enough books, you'll find some of this. And it's, it's amazing uh, that it, it could be out there because of the rest of the, not even the rest of the chapter, even the verses we're going to study, refutes this totally, that whole concept. But yet people have taught it, and they continue to teach it. The chapter explains why this is not God's plan at all. This is not God's plan that we just sin and continue in sin because, hey, however much we sin, we're going to get grace. And so, you know, that just gives me greater opportunity for greater grace. No, that's not God's plan at all. It's amazing how many can believe and follow strange false doctrine when they are so easily and directly refuted by a two-word statement. You see... How can anybody start to go that direction or even think that way when, the, when God says the next two words, God forbid? He says, you know, look, should we sin more because grace will abound more? And, and the very next, God forbid. Now, this is an absolute statement of refusal. God says, no, absolutely not. Yet people will still believe it. And, and that's why it's so important that we break this thing down and look at it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we have to, the, even in this, we're going to look at it, it says a lot about baptism. And honestly, there, there can easily be a confusion about baptism. And what does it really mean? And when you just first look at it and just breeze through it, you'll think, this is always, everything that's being said is talking about a water baptism, about getting in that baptistry. Uh, and, and this is the, everything that's talking about is that. But clearly, this is not, and we'll talk about that more in just a second. But how shall we, the, uh, you know, so God says, he makes this statement, God forbid, this absolute statement of refusal. Then God makes a simple statement of reason and deduction, so to speak. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He just says, people, will you think? God really just speaks to his people, and he says, Let, let's just reason for a minute. How shall we that are dead live? He says, if you're dead to something, you can't live in it. That's, that's a real hard concept, isn't it? How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And, and I wonder sometimes the Lord just saying, come on, knuckleheads. How can you live, if you're dead in sin, how can you live therein? He assumes what he is about to tell us, that we are dead to sin. It's, watch this. He, he's, he's saying to us, how can you do this? Know you, look at verse 3. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. He's saying, how can you do this? Because if you were truly baptized into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death. You died to sin. You see, Jesus took all of our sin upon him, and when he died, sin was done. 
Does that make you understand? He, and we are dead. We are baptized with him. And if we are dead, listen to this. If we are dead, we are dead to sin. If we are dead, how can we live in sin? It is basic reasoning, but someone who is dead cannot live. Is this too difficult for anybody tonight? If you're dead, you cannot live, and if they cannot live, they cannot live in sin. We must die, for we cannot, watch this, I I heard this so many years ago, 30 plus years ago, Uh, I didn't hear him say it, it was Lester Roloff, but my preacher was giving the illustration of Lester Roloff gave to him, but... uh, uh, my preacher said he was going through a very, very hard time, and, and, uh, and he was with Lester Roloff, and Lester Roloff would, looked at him and said, Jack, you can't be resurrected until you die. And you know, the truth is, when you can't be. And so, we must die, for we cannot be resurrected until we have died and this, is, this all doesn't mean sinless perfection. And get this, please. When we read through this, you think, okay, if sin's dead, then, then we shouldn't sin. But I want you to understand, this doesn't mean sinless perfection in this life. But the, remember the word reign back up there in chapter 5? You see, sin does not reign any longer. Sin is not king any longer. Sin is not the ruler any longer. It does not have that absolute rule over us. We have the power through the spirit of the resurrected Christ to overcome sin. Colossians 1 verses 13 and 14 says this, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. Look what he says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? You see, when, when, before we're, we're, we're saved, we are, sin reigns in us. You know what? Sin has the power over us. The power of darkness is over us. Notice, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Notice the terminology, the kingdom. You see, he used the word reign. He's using the word kingdom. He's saying, before you're saved, sin reigns. But when you're buried with Christ, sin dies. You enter a new kingdom, and in a new kingdom, somebody else reigns. And so sin doesn't reign anymore. The Holy Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, reign. We are delivered from the dark powers to the power and reign of the kingdom of Christ. We once were on the dark side. (laughs) But we're not anymore. Okay? He said... He says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He was raised. He was resurrected. Spiritually, we are resurrected. And, and this, this whole passage is not talking about a physical death. It's, it is with Christ, of course. 
but it's talking to us about what happens to us spiritually when we trust Christ. Buried means, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. Buried means to be united, united with him by baptism. By, but what baptism is this talking about? And here's Acts chapter 1 verse 5 says this. It says, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. You see, John said clearly that he comes to baptize with the water, but there's one that comes after him to baptize with the Holy Ghost. So baptism means to immerse, and, and if you've been around church very long, heard very much, you know, it's, it's, it's the word baptizo, it, you know, and, and it really wasn't a translation. It was a kind of a creative word, but it, it simply means immersion. And God says that when we trust Christ, we are made one in Christ. Therefore, one in Christ, we are dead to sin. For Christ died in our uh, Christ died uh, for our sin, and He died, so to speak, in our sin. He died. He carried our sin, and and He died for our sin. And we are when we trust Him, we are immersed in Him, and we and He in us. But thank God if we are one in Christ and therefore die with Christ and are dead to sin, we are also with Christ raised or resurrected from the dead to walk in newness of life. And so he said, if we die with him, we're going to live again just like he lived again. We're going to be resurrected again. And that's why it's so important that we understand this because the truth is when you truly get saved, something ought to take place inside you where you have a desire to live different. Because we are. We're a new creature. We've been resurrected. We, we, sin no longer reigns in our life. Verse 5 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. I want you to notice this word planted. This word planted means to be made one again. And, and it's, we're planted together to be made one again. But also in this verse, I think, are some keys that help us to know that this is a spiritual conversation, a spiritual baptism, and, and a spiritual death. Notice that this is, another, this is a word picture, another one, to explain the truth of the spiritual baptism. You see, first we see baptism as immersion. Baptism is becoming one with Christ. Baptism is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 5, we see God makes it very clear that this is not a water baptism by restating the truth, but this time using the word planet. You see, he restates the same truth, talking about baptism, and using the word baptism, and, and it kind of correlates with water, and thinking about being baptized in water, and that mind goes to that immediately. And I think the Lord said, just in case, you, I don't want you to get confused that this is talking about a water baptism. He said, let me just restate it. Let me give you another picture of what I'm talking about. And this time, he calls it being planted. If you're planted, you're not planted in water, you're planted in dirt. And so he says, verse 5, then verse 5, we see God makes it clear that this is not a water baptism by restating the truth, but this time using the word planted, so it's not an illustration of water, but of earth. Something that is planted is submerged, but it's submerged in dirt. Just as Christ was buried and rose from the grave, he was, he was planted, so to speak, in the ground. He was buried in the tomb. 
He, just like we are buried in baptism and we're buried in the Holy Spirit, we are covered completely. That's the way he was. And God's saying, look, just so that you, your mind's not focusing, because I'm using this word of baptism so much, it's not focusing on water and getting in this water. And that's not what's going to cleanse away your sins. That's not what's going to take away your sins. The water won't do that. And so he says, let me just, do, let me just help you by giving it a different picture planted, being placed in the dirt, being placed in the ground. Obviously, God does not desire us to be physically buried in order to rise with Christ. And by this little illustration, well, yeah, you'd have to, okay, if, if baptism is water, then also baptism is going to be, have to be getting the, in, the, in the dirt. So I don't think, you know, some of you might get back here and get in the water and get dunked back in it, but I doubt you're going to let me throw you in a hole and bury you just to prove that you can be resurrected. And so God's making it real clear, this is not a physical conversation here he's talking about spiritually. So in all of that, then why be baptized in water at all? And I'm just, and, I, and this is not really part of the passage, but, but sort of needs to be clarified. And I'm going to do this very quickly. But number one, because Jesus was our example, he was baptized in water. And I think whatever he did, I don't even have to understand. I'm going to try to do anything I can like Christ. I, I think it's be wise to do it. And he was baptized in the water. He, was in, uh, he went down into the water when he was baptized by John the Baptist. Number two, Jesus commanded us to be baptized. You look in the New Testament, it's very clear that we are commanded to be baptized. As immediately upon salvation, we're to be baptized. Uh, Number three, because early leaders baptized their converts. You look through the Scripture and the the apostles as they went and preached and the church planters, and Paul uh, Paul really didn't baptize uh, very many. He did a few, but, uh, but, but the fact is, is that they baptized people. Philip, you know, he's with the Ethiopian eunuch. And after this conversation, the Ethiopian eunuch understands who Christ is and understands the Scriptures. He says, what doth hinder me now to be baptized? And, 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 and Peter, I mean, Philip says, there's water, so let's go, let's go do it. And so baptism is, is, why is it important? Why is it necessary? It's just simply a picture. It's a picture of what has happened in our heart. And, it, and it's a little bit of God saying, okay, I did this. I died for you. And that's kind of love. And I was not ashamed of you. And, and this is the extent of love that I had for you. Now will you do this for me? It doesn't help us go to heaven. But I think it's a step of growth because once you are obedient in something like baptism. And the truth is, even today, if you walked in that door tonight and you came in tonight and you said, I, I, I want to, uh, you, you know, I want to follow the Lord. And I looked at you and said, okay, we can tell you how to be saved. And you got saved and you trusted Christ 100% of your Savior. And, and you knew 100% sure you were going to heaven. And, and we got that all settled. And I, you know, I said, the next thing you need to do is to be baptized. It doesn't help you go to heaven, but it's, it's the first act of obedience just to get you started walking on the right road. Let me just help you. you, you that might be a little bit scary if you didn't know anybody in here. You know, I walked into that church, uh, Broadway Baptist Church, back there however many years ago it was, nearly 40 years ago. When I walked into that church, and probably a couple thousand people in there that morning, it was a huge place. I didn't know anybody. 
And, you know, that's a little bit scary. It's even more scary when you go back there and you find out they're going to take your clothes. And so, uh, I mean, it's, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little scary, you know. And I, and I think it takes the Lord saying, I'm not saying this easy. He's saying, but this is a decision where you're saying, I want to say to everybody, this is real enough that I'm going to follow the Lord. And I'm going to do it. But so it's an outward sign uh, to everyone else. It's, it's, it's something that speaks in our own heart that, that we say, okay, I'm going to do this because I really believe it and I've received it. And I want everybody to know it. It's the wedding, re- it, re- wedding ring illustration. The ring doesn't make me married. I could take it off and I'm still married if I can get it off. Uh, you know, and I'm still married, but it shows everybody that I'm married. All right, now verse 6, verse 6. It says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now again, as some want to take this passage, some want to really emphasize the baptism and really want to emphasize that the water is going to wash away their sins, and that's, that's what it's talking about. But these verses, if you really read them, you, you understand he's got to be stalk, talking spiritually because knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Uh, look, we are not being physically destroyed. Uh, we're, the water or, or what is, whatever's taking place is not destroying us uh, at this at this moment, what is being destroyed? The old man, that inner man, that corrupt man inside of me is being destroyed. The body of sin. When God speaks of that, the body of sin is is by definition, so to speak, it's like saying the instrument to carry out sin's orders. You know, I, I don't know about you. You know, some people got saved when they're you know relatively young. A lot of them in here here did, but but. Uh, uh, you know, I was 20 uh, when I got saved at Memphis State, but but it's sin didn't even appear sin to me before I got saved. I enjoyed, and this sounds terrible. I enjoyed sin. It was it was fun. It was exciting. I liked it. You know why? Because it ruled me. It controlled me. It, it directed my body. Sin and, and desires and impulses pulled me. And wherever they wanted me to go, that's where I'm going. It reigned in me. It was king in me. And so it's going to direct me. And now, November the 8th, 1975, when I got saved in my dorm room, someone else now became king. Sin no longer was able to rule. You say, then why do we continue in sin when God clearly says that we shouldn't? It's not because he's king. It's because we allow him. We go back to him. He doesn't rule over us anymore, but we go back and say, you're still my buddy. I still want to do whatever you want. Where do you want to go party? 
Where do you want to go live? What do you want to go look at? What do you want to go listen to? What do you want to go drink? What do you want to go take? I don't have to. He doesn't rule me. I'm bowing to him. Again, God shows us in his word that we should know what he has been teaching us through these verses. We should know that our old man, that old man, not physical man, but that old spiritually corrupt man is crucified with Christ. And that spiritually, uh, spiritual body which was ruled by sin is destroyed. Everything about this passage demonstrates that it's a spiritual picture, not a physical act. Finally, in verse 7, he says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Notice the terminology again. you set free from the sin. You don't have to do it. You don't have to submit to it. You don't have to yield to it. You don't have to bow down to it. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. The conclusion is made in verses 7 and 8, when the old corrupt man is dead, we are free from the reign of sin. When we die with Christ, the corrupt man dies and the spiritual man comes alive to reign. And so it, it, what happens is, is that right now we, we still have a battle because it's the flesh warring against the spirit, but it's not that the flesh is king anymore. It's the fact that we yield to the flesh. We have a ruler inside of us, and he says, I know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go. Look, you know, it's like if I, if I came in here and, uh, and, I, and I came to, to Josh, and, and I looked at Josh. Come here, Josh. Yes, Josh, that's you. And I came and I said, Josh, you're going to go with me to a party. Because you're in sin, and I'm, I'm ruled you now, and you're going to go with me. But when Josh dies to this sin, somebody else comes in. Come here, Kobe. This is a terrible illustration. Um, but the Holy Spirit comes in, and what he does, he comes in, and he says, get over here to the other side of Josh. He says, he says you don't have to go with him anymore. You don't have to. Now, can Josh yield to me? He can, but I don't control him anymore. It's his choice. And the whole time, Colby's saying, you don't have to do this. We got power over him. All you have to do is yield to me. All you have to do is submit to me. All you have to do is look away from him and look to the Spirit of God. And once I was controlled, and you're going to do whatever I tell you to do. But now the rain has died. That's your choice. But you and your own strength can't do it. But if you'll yield to him, when I come after you, step forward, Kobe. There's somebody much stronger that's going to stop me. That's obvious. That's obvious. Get out of here. <laughs> I told you it was a lousy illustration. 
The body is dead. Here's our problem, but it doesn't feel dead. Here's where the, the problem with all of Christianity right now. When you're truly saved, you're dead to sin. Here's the problem, though. We don't feel dead. We don't even want to be dead. And here, the body is dead but does not feel dead to sin. But just as feelings don't make us saved or keep us saved, we're not saved by feelings. We're saved by faith. But the same thing happens, whatever we feel does not change or negate the truth that when we become a Christian, we are dead to the power of sin. And we think, here's what happened, the old devil lies to us, and we, we get saved, he doesn't have power over us, but you know what he does? He convinces us that he does. You know what he does? He convinces us that we cannot overcome this addiction. He convinces us that we cannot ever, we can, we can never be free from this that's trapped us. He convinces us that, that there's no need to try to, to change because it's hopeless. We're always going to be drawn back. He convinces us that, that we can't have uh, the family that we dream or the marriage that we dream or this is not going to work out because it, it, God uh, has told us that we, He doesn't reign anymore, but somehow we're still listening to Him when He convinces us that, that we are hopeless. Here's what, what happens is, is we must understand that sin does not reign or rule us, does not have the power over us. For once the Holy Spirit comes in, we now have the power over sin. The real issue now is will we allow sin in our lives? Before I was saved, I did not understand sin or have power over sin. But as a Christian, I now have authority and power over sin if I will use that resurrected power. And we've got to quit listening. We don't have to watch that stuff any longer. We don't have to look at that any longer. We don't have to listen to that any longer. We don't have to taste that any longer. We don't have to act that way any longer because it has no power over us. We give in to it by listening to the lies of the devil. Our problem ultimately is that we're dead, but we want to live as like we're the walking dead. We still want to walk around and live. We're zombies, Christian zombies. God says, the old man's dead. And they say, I know, but I'm still going to that party. I got to go. No, you don't have to go. You say, how can I not go? Don't go. How do I stop this sin in my life? Don't do it anymore. And I know that's oversimplistic, but the simple truth is it starts there. It starts with the determination to say, you know what? I'm going to fight this. I'm not going here. Now, God, I need your help. Holy Spirit of God, I need your help. I need your grace. I need your strength. I need your guidance. Dear God. But listen, it takes a decision also inside of me to say, no, God, help me. Because if I never do that, I just say, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll take another drink. I can't stop myself. I just got to have it. No, you don't. You don't have to. There's two Irishmen. Anybody Irish in here? Irish. 
Linda, you've never even seen an Irishman. <laughs> Two Irishmen, Pat and Mike, they found a turtle, and the turtle had no head. But the turtle was still walking around. You know, kind of like a chicken when you wring its neck and it still goes around. Have you ever seen that? I have. It's really a neat thing. Uh, but um, so this turtle was still walking around. Pat, being a good Irishman, said the turtle was dead. But being good Irishman, Mike wanted to argue, so he said, no, the turtle was alive because it's, it's walking around, so obviously it's alive. But Pat said, no, it's dead because it has no head. So they decided to go get an arbitrator. So they get an arbitrator, and O'Brien comes in. Of course, it would be O'Brien. And O'Brien comes up, and they said, hey, look at this turtle. Is he dead or alive? And O'Brien took one look at the turtle and said, it's dead, but he don't believe he's dead. And that's where we are. It's dead, but we sometimes forget that we're dead. And that we're supposed to be dead. And we've got to die to it. Die to sin, die to self. This is where many Christians are. They're dead to sin, but they don't believe it. So sin is still being allowed to have its way with them when they could use the resurrected power and authority of Christ over the sin. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to stop and say, no, when I got saved, I was buried with Christ. And when I was buried with him, that means I was resurrected with him. And that means I have somebody reigning in me who is king in me, who should rule in me now, who has power, who has authority. I don't have to go there anymore. And I'm going to just tell you, we won't win every battle because we're in this human flesh. But I keep using this statement because it was given to me 30 years ago, and I believe it and I love it. Any man could overcome any given sin at any given moment if he would yield to the Holy Spirit of God. Our problem is we don't always yield. Our problem is, is that suddenly... At some moment, we forget that we're supposed to be dead. And if we're dead to sin, we can't yield to sin if we're dead to sin. So we have to stop being spiritual zombies. If you've died with Christ, then stop struggling to breathe in the corruption of the world. And that takes, just this final statement, that takes this, when... when that moment comes of decision comes. And that moment of temptation comes. You've got to say, I can't do that. I'm dead. I'm going to go where I'm living. And that means go to this quoting this, the Word of God. That means go sing the Word of God. That means go read the Word of God. That means go pray and talk to the Lord. That just means go to what has given you life. Turn away from the death. But you've got to do it immediately. Because any breath you take in that direction, you are a spiritual zombie saying, I refuse to be dead. I'm coming back up and I'm going to continue to live. But who are you? You're mindless zombie because that's not your world. 
you're dead to that. Father, I pray that you bless tonight.